peace to you and welcome in the name of the Lord. You are welcome here if it is your first time with us or if you are with us every week. You are welcome here no matter who you love, what you look like, or where you live. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here at the United Congregational Church. We're so glad that you're here. I have a few announcements for our congregation. Um, next Sunday, November 22nd, is Consecration Sunday when we gather up all of our pledge cards and we bless them. Um, and so if you haven't had a chance to get your stewardship pledge card returned to the office, uh, please do so by Friday uh, so that we can bless all of our stewardship gifts for 2021 on Sunday during virtual church. Thank you so much for your support of the church. We've already had um, many of the pledge cards returned and um, so many of you have increased your gifts and I am just touched and grateful for your generosity. Thank you so much. Um, we have so much to be grateful for even in a very difficult time. So without further ado, let us worship God. begin worship, I invite you to take a deep breath, feel the seat beneath you, the ground holding you, know that you are not alone. Breathe out anything that stands in your way of connecting with God in this moment. Let us pray. You, O oh God, are the builder of the house, and we, your living stones. Ground us in the word preached by your apostles and prophets, and build us up into your kingdom with room for all and dividing walls for none. Open our hands as you open our hearts. Move us by your spirit to reach out beyond our comfort, beyond our understanding, into the work of your hope and promise. We pray in the name of the one whose empty hands stretch out to all creation, creating one humanity fit for your kingdom. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. 
Galatians chapter 6. My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work. Then that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride. For all must carry their own loads. Those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you will reap corruption from the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at the harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. Chapter 2, verses 14, 32 to 33, and 36 to 47. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both see and hear. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, 
to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. A biblical scholar once offered this challenge to a gathering of clergy and lay leaders. Show me your checkbooks, and I will tell you what you believe. You can imagine what followed. Shifting feet, averted eyes, and most remarkable for a group with so many preachers, awkward silence. Why do we freeze up when someone asks us to examine our personal finances? Partly it's because talking about money is taboo in our culture. But a former teacher of mine, the theologian Dr. Sharon Dolaz-Parks, points out that our awkwardness around money runs deeper. Our culture is rooted in economic individualism. So we tend to think of our financial choices as personal and private, rather than intertwined with the lives of our neighbors. At the same time, our our culture has drawn a sharp dividing line between the material world of earning and spending and the spiritual world of our beliefs and values. The result is that we have, in practice, rejected one of the central theologies of our faith, incarnation. Dolaz Parks writes, Incarnation is a theologian's way of speaking about spirit dwelling in matter. Along with many other traditions, Judaism and Christianity understands the inner secret of creation to be the indwelling of God within it, which is to say that the whole of creation is the place of God's presence. God is home here. Spirit is incarnate within us, among us, beyond us, beneath us, in the motion and matter of life itself, giving dignity and value to every element of creation. Every being participates in the household of God and is included in the economic imagination of God. From the Mosaic law to the prophets of the Old Testament, From the gospel stories of our God incarnate in the person of Jesus to the accounts of the early church imbued with God's spirit, our scripture insists that the physical stuff of our lives, from our own bodies to our homes and everything we fill them with, are an integral part of a holistic spiritual life, and that the economy in which we live is not an individual matter, but a deeply relational one. Again and again, we see in the Bible that what we buy, how we save, how much we share, how we pay laborers or forgive debts, none of these are individual choices that can be hidden as part of our private lives. Rather, these actions, attitudes, and choices have a real impact on the lives of the people around us and on our own spiritual lives. The way we order our economic lives can deepen our relationship with God or strain it. 
the way we participate in the economy can contribute to the well-being of our neighbors and our world, or it can contribute to their suffering. Now, we often do not think of the word economy when we are talking about our faith. But that word, economy, comes from the Greek word oikos, which means household. So the meaning of economy at its root has to do with how we manage and order our household to meet the well-being of all the inhabitants of the home. Note that the word oikos, household, was not confined to mean only the private home. It was also used to describe the household of God, the church, which is how we came to have the word ecumenical from that same root word. Ecumenical is the relationship between different houses of worship or churches. In Greek, the word oikos was not only used to mean private homes and houses of worship, but also had that more expansive definition of God's dwelling place, the whole created order of heaven and earth. This is why the word ecology and ecosystem come from that same root word meaning household. Because an ecosystem is about the interconnected relationship between all of the creatures who live together on our home planet. In my 20s, I attended a church in Cambridge, Mass. And in a small group, I read a chapter by Sharon Dolos Parks. This was years before I would be her student. The chapter was called Household Economics, which is where I first learned all of this etymology. My small group met for a semester and looked at how we ordered our households. We thought together about how we organized our time, the way we ordered our living spaces, our use of and relationship to our possessions, where we spent our money, what we ate, how we prepared and shared meals, and the impact of all these choices on our neighbors, on our world, and on our own spiritual lives. Before we began, we made a list of what we valued most. The idea was to look at the way we actually ordered our households at that moment, not how we might wish or aspire to organize them, and see how authentically our way of living matched our values. We turned to our first topic, looking at our checkbooks. Everyone in the group each spent a few weeks going over our personal spending habits, what we bought, where we bought it, how long we used it, what we gave, what we shared, what we saved, what percentage of earnings went to others, to the betterment of our community, or to the charities we thought were important. After I gathered all the information, I was dismayed to realize that the story of my spending did not live up to my professed values. I was so embarrassed I almost skipped the meeting with my small group. But I went. As we went around the circle, I was relieved to find that I was not the only one whose checkbook told a disappointing story about their values. One woman shared that most of her money went to her mortgage. She paused and then admitted this was because she had decided to rent an upscale apartment in a desirable neighborhood that she could barely afford. There was little left over to give the community or the charities she valued. Another young man shared that he had had no idea how much he spent on his clothing, little of it that he really needed, he admitted. When it was my turn, I confessed that I had been spending most of my disposable income on food. Not food that I needed, like groceries, but 
food on the go for breakfast or on my lunch break. Some of it was eating out for meals with friends, but there was also a fair amount of delivery food, a lot of overpriced coffee, and when it all added up, I was shocked that so much of my money went in this category. In our scripture readings for today, we get a glimpse of the way that the early church ordered their household, the economy of their homes and their churches. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, he reminds them that being part of the household of God means sharing one another's burdens, supporting one another in making good choices, and working for the good of all people in their private households, their houses of worship, and beyond that, in the many nations of people that belong to the family of God. In our second reading from the book of Acts, we similarly hear about how the apostles organized their life together, their household. They had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. In our times, we live in an incredibly complex economy. And though, in theory, our economic system is meant to maximize employment, on the theory that a rising tide lifts all boats, you need only look at the rapidly increasing wealth gap in our nation and our world to see that the way we have ordered our households does not serve the common good equally. If we are not intentional, our habits and practices will tend to conform to the values of society. The relentless desire for more stuff Impressive labels, the nicest neighborhood, the most expensive house we can afford filled with more than we could ever use. The busy lifestyle with no time for cooking or resting, where on-the-go overpriced meals become the norm. This is the culture that we get swept up into if we do not cultivate alternative practices. After my experience with that small group, I was much more mindful of my spending and giving as an integral part of my spiritual life. I set aside the money I wanted to give to charities and to my church the beginning of the year. I thought more carefully about the impact of my purchases on the world. Where was this made? Who might this benefit? And not only about whether I wanted it. I was able to simplify my life and recalibrate my spending to more fully reflect those things that I truly hold dear, rather than letting my spending get caught up in the misplaced values of the consumer culture around me. It isn't easy, and this, like any other Christian practice, is not a one-time effort. It takes tending to build up the habits and impulses of our heart. Inevitably, we have seasons where we grow lax in our practicing. The old habits creep back in and we have to begin again, intentionally shaping our lives to match the values that we hold most dear. Amen.
Let us pray. You are above us, O God, you are beneath. You are in our waking and our sleeping, our working and our resting. We give you thanks for all that you give us, O God, this day to enjoy, this life to cherish, these people to love, this world to embrace, and your peace, which passes all understanding. Loving God, we hold in your healing presence all who suffer, in mind, body, or spirit, and for all who care for them. May they know the deep peace of Christ. Especially this day, God, we pray for Thomas, Carol, Karen, Todd, Chuck, Kate, Mizzy, Connie, Linda, Judy, Lori, Chris, Alex, Miles, Maggie, Gregory, Sarah, and Karen. Christ, the great comforter, we hold in your healing presence all who are grieving. Even in their sorrow, may they know your deep peace. In particular, hold in your tender care the friends and family of Dominic, the friends and family of Russ Bede. Gracious God, we pray for all who are in crisis, especially this day the frontline workers facing yet another surge in coronavirus patients. Give them strength and endurance to meet this challenge, wisdom and healing to care for the suffering, and your courage and protection as they risk their lives for others. God, bring your spirit of peace to our nation. Unite us in the cause of healing, equity, and kindness. Bring peace to the nations, east and west, north and south. Peace to our neighbors, black, brown, and white. Peace to all people in all places. The peace of Christ for our world. God, lead us from fear to faith, from death to life, from falsehood to truth. Lead us from despair to hope, from division to unity. Let peace fill our hearts, our world, and all of your creation. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about our church, we invite you to connect with us on our website, www.ucclittlecompton.org. If you'd like to support our ministries, you can find a link to our online donation page in the show notes for this episode. We also invite you to share this podcast and leave us a rating or a review to help others find us. Our piano music is performed by Michael Bauman, and the horn and string music is performed by the Thomas family. In our church, it is our tradition to end every service with this simple blessing. God be with you till we meet again. By God's counsel's guide, uphold you. With his sheep securely fold you. God be with you till we meet again. Go in peace. Mm